There we go, we're going. Anything I do say now be taken down and used against me in evidence. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful weekend. What an opportunity to celebrate God's good, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. And right now, Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. You died for us, you paid the price for us, you did it all. And we give you all the glory this evening. We want to tell you how grateful we are for Jesus, for everything he's done. For just bearing our sin and shame and sickness on the cross, so we could enjoy righteousness and health and being blessed. Oh, we thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen. hallelujah. I'm going to move this out of my way a little bit. That's fair, fair enough. That gives me a bit more space to move around. Fantastic. We have got the bread and wine. We will close tonight with communion. If you're sick today, then expect to be healed as you take it. If you're feeling shameful, expect to be shouting and happy by the end of it. Because when we take communion, we're celebrating what Jesus has done. And he's done it all. He's done everything for us on the cross. Now, we're in a series at the moment. We started it last week. And we're just talking about how sneaky the devil is. He's not tough. He's sneaky. He, oh, hello, Sharon. You see there, snuck in there. Fantastic. Good to see you. Um, the devil didn't come to Eve in the form of a gorilla. Wrestle her to the ground and make her do something. Right? He came to her as a snake to trick her and try and seduce her to do something. You have to be really careful. The devil's sneaky. He's not tough, but he's sneaky. So just look at this in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty. Verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty, more sneaky. It was a sneaky one. Than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now you see, that's where he started off. That was his first attack. That was his first opening volley. And we can learn so much from that opening volley. Did God really say, all these trees? You can't have any of these trees. You can't eat any of the trees. The devil was painting a picture of a God who was mean. A God who wasn't good. A God who wasn't kind. The devil was trying to get their focus off the God who would created this beautiful garden. God had spent six days creating an entire planet just for Adam and Eve. And then he created this perfect bloke, perfect woman, and said, you are blessed with everything. Anything you want, just take it. You want a peach? Just want a peach tree? Take the peach. You want this? You want this? And then the only, the only instruction God gave them was, be blessed, fill the earth. Okay? Just a perfect paradise, a perfect life, perfect in every way. God made this couple perfect, and before he made them, he created a perfect environment for them to enjoy every good thing. If you read Genesis, it says, God stuffed the land they were in with gold and precious stones and all good things. God is good. God is generous. But what's the devil do? He makes them focus on that one thing. The one thing God said, you can't have that. Now here's something you might not realise. That tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't a bad thing. Okay? How do I know that? Because God made it. And in Genesis 1 verse 31, God said that everything he made was very good. So the tree was good. Okay? Does that make sense? So there's all these trees, but this one tree was very good. But God said you can eat all the trees, but you can't eat that one tree. 
That tree was just as good as any of the other trees. I don't know what the fruit from that tree looked like or tasted like. I know in films and pictures it's normally an apple. We don't know that from the Bible. We don't know what it was. A lot of Jewish people think it was a fig. But I mean, I don't know. It was a fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. But they weren't allowed to touch that one tree. But the fruit on that tree was good. Everything on that tree was good. But what the devil tried to do was try and shift their focus from the hundreds and thousands of trees they were allowed Oh, God's not letting you have that. He's trying to paint a picture of a God who's trying to restrict your fun, restrict your life, a God who's mean. Look at that, God won't let you have that. And you become so obsessed with the thing God won't let you have, you forget about all the wonderful things that he has done for you. Sometimes children get like that with their parents. They're so obsessed with the one thing their parents won't do for them. You are so mean. You're the meanest parents in the world. I'm going up to my room to play on my Nintendo to watch TV in the bed alley in my room, to sit on my nice comfy bed and eat Doritos, which you paid for. <laughs> it's a bit chilly in my room, so I'm going to turn up the heating. But you are so mean, because you won't let me go out on Tuesday. Because we get so obsessed with the one thing we can't have, that we shift our focus away from all the wonderful things we can't have. And this is where we've got to be so careful as Christians because that's what the devil wants to do to all of us. He wants us to be like Eve. He wants us sitting there looking at the one thing we can't have and thinking, oh, God's a big meanie. God's so nasty. God's so horrible. And not realise how good God is. Realise that God's got a perfect plan for your life. And if God ever says, don't pick up that, it's because he just wants you to have your hands free for something better he's got for you down the road. We need to realise how good God is. Don't listen to the, oh God said you can't have any of it. You see, God puts a principle in action every time he gives you something. Every time God gives you something, he puts this principle in action which says that the majority of what he gives you is for you to enjoy. Most of it is for you to enjoy. But he takes a sliver of it and says, don't touch that. Do something with that. Why? So that we will act as responsible stewards. Because when we act as responsible stewards, that's when we can change the world. Okay? So, for example, Joshua is told by God, you're going to have this entire promised land. The whole land is going to be yours. The whole nation is going to be yours. Just you march across the river. So as Joshua walks across the river, he gets the priest to walk in front of him. It's in Joshua chapter 3. As the priests touch the river, the river stops flowing. That's got to be pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, if you saw that happen, you'd be like, God's amazing. And so the river stops flowing, and the priests walk into the river. And then God says, right, priest, you just stand there. Huh? There's a wall of water up there. I'd be like, kind of a bit hesitant there, I think. No, I'm going to get there as quick as I can. But he says to the priest, you stand there. And then the whole Israelite community, probably two million people, walk across. And the priests are just standing there watching this wall of water. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus. And, there's a whole, and when the, finally the last person crosses, God says to the priest, now you can move. And finally they, they go across and the river starts to flow again. There's a, this isn't part of my message, this is a freebie, but there's people in this room. I mean, you're part of a church plant here. Don't you just love it? The church is this and don't know what's going on. This. I love new church. Some of the Dagnum people will tell you, Dagnum's getting a bit slick sometimes. We're getting a bit efficient with some of the stuff. Not always, but we're getting there. Wait till we've got our own building, right? 
But I love it when it's just new and it's what we're doing, how's it working. But let me tell you, some of you are those priests. You're the first in. And you think, that's fantastic, I'm the first in. Look at this, look at the miracles, look at the wall of water. And other people are going to go across into the promised land and still stand there. What are you doing? You're holding back something to help someone else get what God's got for them. So God starts talking to you about healings and miracles. You're right, okay, healings and miracles. Let's believe for healings and miracles. You start making your healings and miracles declarations. You start believing. You start, maybe you've gone to a church previously before this that didn't believe in healings and miracles. So you've moved to a church now where we do have healings and miracles. We don't just believe in them. We have them. They happen all the time. I love it. So then you're there. You're right, I'm believing. I'm standing at the right church. And somebody else plays hands on the sick and they get healed. And somebody else prays for somebody and they get healed. And somebody else gets healed. You're still standing there. What am I doing? You're holding the door open. I'd rather be a doorkeeper now to the Lord. So just, just keep that in mind, guys. Sometimes we're called to be the first in the river and the last on the bank. And, you know, and that's sometimes, both of them, the hardest job. First in the river is the hardest job because I had to walk in the river while it was still flowing. You know, that's hard work. It's hard work to walk in the river while it's still flowing. You know, now you can come to our church in Dagenham we have over 100 people most Sundays. We've got a great Sunday school ministry. We've got this, we've got that. It's working. You can come to that church without any faith at all. It's, it is what it is. It's doing something. We know the first people who came, they had, they had to take a step. They had to take a step to that church. first lady who came, she was, she was a Hindu 10 days before she came to our church. She got born again, came to us ten days old in the Lord. She phoned up a guy in India and said, you need to go to one of those Pentecostal churches. Okay, what's that? I don't know, but that's what I feel you need to do. I, I thought the pastor in India who told her to go to a Pentecostal church was Pentecostal. I had to phone this guy up in India and get him baptised in the Holy Spirit over the telephone because he didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. He just knew Pentecostal church is where he needed to be. So this lady came to us we had no children's ministry, no nothing. All we said was, we've got a big dream, we believe in God. We've got her baptised in the Holy Spirit, we've got her laying hands on the sick. She's seen cancer disappear, she's laid for people. She's she seen lives change in such amazing ways. Last time she went to India, she'd get a group of ten people together, they'd all get healed, there'd be one person still sick. She'd phone me back in England, this person's still sick. I'd preach to her on the phone, she'd translate it into Hindi and Urdu, and that person would get healed. It was great fun. Great fun. Her husband's now born again. Her child is top of the class. They, they, they were just about to get deported back into India, the visa, and now it's all turned around. The whole situation's turned around. They're staying. He's got a pay rise, a promotion, more money, less hours. It's just all fantastic. I said, Lord, I said, you can't let them go. I said, our church is too young to lose, <laughs> lose them. Can't let that happen. So, I mean, God's just a good God. God is on our side. But sometimes we're the first people to step in and then the last people to get out. And, you know, just be prepared to be those people because that's where the blessing is. They're the people carrying the presence. Lots of people want to chase the presence. We should be carriers of the presence. You know, I'm a God chaser. Really, he lives inside you. Carry him. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy who he is. Live for him. Walk with him. Because why? Because God's good and God can be trusted. Where were we? Oh, that's right. They crossed the river to get to the promised land. God promised them the whole nation. The whole country's yours. Everything in it is yours. It belongs to you. So which city are we going for first, God? Should we go for one of the little cities first, God? Should we just start off one of the little ones? Build a little fort? No, 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 no. Go, go to Jericho. Go there, the, what, the one with the big massive walls around it. Yeah. 
You can take that, you can take it anywhere. Come on. Okay, how are we going to take it, Lord? You're going to gather an army? You're going to do this? You're going to do that? No, just walk around it. Just walk around it. And why you walk around it? Will you do me one favour? What's that, Lord? Shut your mouth. What? Guys, you've just spent 40 years wandering around in circles for one reason. You can't keep your big grumbling mouth shut. That's it. So shut. A word. So they walk around the city and do it next day, next day, and so on. I'm sure some of them wanted to moan. There's Joshua's not here than Moses. And I got across the river. Okay, fine, give me that. I've had the river. I've had the river. You can't just live off one spiritual experience your whole life, you know. You know, we need more than that. Joshua, we need something more. And the seventh day, what we're we going to do today, Joshua? Put him up in the sea seven times. That's a fair old trek. You know, five or six miles all the way around. Seven times, 40 miles in one day. That's the whole day taken up by walking. Let's walk, let's walk. <laughs> Remember, none of them have got houses. They've all got tents. All kind of tents on their back. All kind of stuff on their back. Okay, we're going. We're walking around the city. Just shut up, okay? With nobody speaking. Eventually they get around and shout, yell, shout. And they start to shout and they yell. And the walls fall down. You can go to Jericho today. The walls of Jericho didn't fall out, didn't fall in. Archaeologists, they just fell straight down. It's almost like somebody got a massive giant hand and went... That's pretty cool. Imagine standing there. Boom, the walls are gone. Hey, take the city. So Jericho is loaded with stuff. There's gold, there's silver, it's the capital city. There's loads of good stuff in the city. God says, right, you see all that loot from that city? Yeah, we do, Lord. Yeah, it's great. We love that loot. Torch the lot. What? Torch the lot. Turn Jericho into a massive bonfire and stand around the bonfire and praise me. There's this gold, Lord. We could sell that and give that to the poor, you know. We could, we could do some good stuff for that. Just torch the lot and give it to me. There was no church around. There was nobody they could tithe to. There was nobody they could give to. Just torch the lot. That's what God said. <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not part of a good church just torch your tithe money it's okay <laughs> so they torch the whole lot and then every other city they go to they enjoy the spoils of every other city because they learnt how to deal with the one thing they could have gone well as God's so mean he won't let us have this stuff he won't let us have city so mean <laughs> no because they took their eyes off the one thing they couldn't have and looked at everything they could have we have got, you can't fall for this lie. It'll destroy your Christian life. You look at the one thing you haven't got, and you don't look at all the wonderful stuff you have got. You've got to look at all the wonderful stuff you have got and take your eyes off the one thing you haven't got. You know, every time God gives an instruction, you know, you might be dating someone, and God speaks to you, that's the wrong guy, that's the wrong girl, don't do it. Get rid of them. Because you don't want Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright to walk in the room when you're still dating them. Because if they're the right person for you, trust me, they aren't going to be interested in you if you're dating someone else. You're going to have a lot of explaining to do. You know, I was, um, I was, I changed my girlfriends as often as I changed my socks when I was a teenager. About two weeks on average for both. And I got born again at the age of 16 and it really didn't impact every area of my life. It impacted some areas. I stopped smoking immediately. That was just wonderful. Totally set free. Stop swearing immediately. My attitude, I was, I was 16 years old. My 14-year-old brother was terrified of me. Couldn't be in the same room as me. I was such a thug and a bully. Within three months of me becoming a Christian, he got born again. He said, anything that's changed your life that much, I want to know. 
He says, whatever's happened to you, I want it too. He says, you've, you've just totally changed. Um, took me about six months from being born again to stop going out and getting drunk. I'd go out most weekends and get drunk, which was really stupid, because then you have to go to church with a hangover. Okay? And I was a Baptist, and Baptists aren't like keen on you turning up at church with a hangover. They weren't that pleased to see me. You know? They'd tell me, don't get drunk on wine. I'd go, don't worry about that, I never touch wine, we're okay. <laughs> I don't get drunk on wine, we're okay. Bible says, don't get drunk on wine, that's okay, I'm drinking beer. <laughs> Until I discovered it said, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which literally translated means stupid decisions. And I thought, well, when I get drunk, I make stupid decisions. It doesn't matter what I'm getting drunk on, I'm still making stupid decisions. If the reason not to get drunk on wine is not to make stupid decisions, then I shouldn't really get drunk on anything, because no matter what you drink, you still make stupid decisions. So my lightning fast mind worked out. But then it said this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And I thought, why is it that this church has told me a hundred times not to get drunk on wine, and nobody's ever told me, be filled with the Spirit. I said, Lord, I don't know what be filled with the Spirit is, but I want be filled with the Spirit. I will never get drunk again if you be filled me with the Spirit. I'll do it, whatever. And I got drunk once after that, that was that, and I'm like, I want this. And then when a couple of weeks after that, someone came to my house, laid hands on me, got me filled with the Spirit. Actually, it was a friend's house. friend's house got filled with the Spirit, started speaking in tongues, prophesying. And the Baptist church, which was quite happy to have a young 16-year-old youth leader who got drunk every weekend, was not happy to have a 16-year-old youth leader who spoke in tongues. So they booted me. So that changed, but I was still dating and going out with different girls and whatever else. And then when I, moved to, when I left town, I went to uni, I thought, I've got to make a clean start. I've got to sort myself out here. And so from the time I went to uni, I didn't date anybody for a year and a half until I met Amanda. And I'm so glad I made that choice. And look at all the things I'm missing out on. Look at all these wonderful new ladies. But if I'd been dating them, Amanda would never have taken a second look at me. Because she knew how to live right. And she wouldn't have been interested in some guy who didn't know that. So I'm so glad I didn't look at the one thing I wasn't allowed realizing that God had something better for me in my future. And that applies for anything, any area of your life. God tells you to let go of something. Trust me, he's got something better for you. We've got a lady coming to us at the moment. Lovely lady. And she struggled to come to our church because she loves the people at the church she's been at. Now I'm not for, you know, trying to take people out of other churches, but this church that she goes to doesn't believe in the power of the Spirit the way we do. doesn't believe in the grace of God. And she's been taught some really strange stuff and she's struggling to believe God for certain things in her life because of the false teaching she's getting. And God spoke to her in an audible voice and said, leave that church and come to Tree of Life. Pastor Benjamin, God told her my name before she even met me. And it's been a struggle for her. But now she's done that. Now she's part of us. She just said a couple of weeks ago, I'm so glad I've made this choice. Because this has been everything that has helped me so much in these last few weeks. We have to know what God's called you to. Don't look at the one thing you can't have. Look at all the good stuff you can have. Don't think that God's a meanie. God's not a meanie. God is a good God. God is a good God. But whenever God gives you an abundance, he takes a sliver of that and says, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And do you know why he does that? Let's look at Luke 16. Let's look at verse 10. 
Luke 16 and verse 10 says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. So God will always give you something to see what you do with it before you get the full thing. I've got a guy I know a few months ago, he just seemed a bit restless. He'd left his church, he was in a bit of a state. He's a you know, trained minister, pastor. And he was doing some other stuff, and I said, What are you doing with yourself now? I know there weren't any, you know, lively churches in his locality. I said, Are you going to plant a church? That's how you're going to do it. And he basically said to me this He said, I'm being called by God to teach and instruct pastors. That's what God's called me to do, to lead the leaders. He says, I'm just waiting for God to put me in that position. I said, You're going to be waiting a long time, sir. Because you don't, nobody starts off in that position. I says, Take it from me, I'm a pastor. I says, I don't want to sit down and listen to someone who hasn't walked where I've walked. I says, if you haven't been where I've been, how can I sit down and listen to you tell me how to pastor if it hasn't worked itself out and you don't have the results to back up what you're doing? I says, you need to get your... If that's, what, if that's the end picture, you need to do the little. You need to do the little. If you're not faithful with small things, you're faithful with big things. We had a, a leaders meeting on Thursday night. Emo was there. He's one of our elders in Dagnum. And to me, that was the most blessed leaders meeting I've ever been part of in my life. I loved it. I just love the people we have and the leaders we have and the people we have in this network are just wonderful. But I put the cat among the pigeons because I said, I want my elders, when we move into the new screen, the new cinema we're moving in, seats 270, I said, I want my elders to come and sit in the front couple of rows. That was a bit of a, you know, Emo and Jackie were happy with that. There was a couple of people, oh, hold on a minute. And the reason for that is very simple. Very, very simple. Is if somebody comes in off the street and decides to sit down in the middle of the service and watch what's going on, I want them watching the leaders worshipping. I don't want them watching some donut like this. And think that's how we... They can go and sit at the back, thank you very much. No one can see them, that's fine. I want the people who are lively in the front. I want you to come sit at the front and set an example. Now, Emo's wife Jackie said, well, it's also nice for Ben when he's preaching... To preach to people who are hungry for the word and want the word and agree with the vision. I said, it is, but to be honest, I don't mind preaching to cabbages. I honestly don't mind. I, you know, I've recorded programs on TV. When you record on TV, basically what they do, it's like torture. You stand there, there's your thing. You can't move. Now, for me, that's torture itself. Because the camera's all there, and they do all the lighting and stuff. They put makeup on your face, which is great. I used to preach against makeup, now I wear it. It's great. Right? And, <laughs> So I'm standing there. You can't move. You can't even do this. You've just got to stand there and look at the camera. It's pure black. There's nothing there. It's just pitch black. Black as can be. And then right there, they shine a light in your face. So, Tell me what we want you to know. And I've got to preach in that situation. So I just, I don't mind where I preach or what I preach. When we started, we started our church in Barkingside, in a library. Very similar sort of shape building to this, actually. Some Sundays we'd have one person, two people, five was a crowd. I remember five people, praise the Lord, we've got five. This is awesome. But one of the guys was with us right in those early days, a guy called Paul Evangeli. Um, I've been there and he's turned up and I said, Paul, I'm going to preach like there's a hundred people in this room. Just you sit there and be the one person, but just imagine. And I'll preach up as hard as I can, as fast as I can. Why? Because I want Paul to be blessed and hear the word. And God then sees that and goes, he's faithful with one. If you're faithful with one, you're going to be given much. 
But if you're not faithful with one, you'll never be given much. So God, everything God gives you, he always says, and this sliver is for me. This sliver is, you have to obey me with this sliver. Why? Because if he doesn't, how else can you prove yourself faithful? The only way to get promoted is to be faithful with the sliver God gives you. But the problem is, the devil comes and he goes, oh, God said you can't have that bit. Hmm, God's not a nice God, is he? God's a mean God. God's holding something back from you. God's trying to manipulate you. God doesn't want you to succeed. God's had enough with you. God's angry with you. God doesn't like you because you haven't lived right. You haven't done enough, prayed enough, fasted enough. God's not a good God. God's not going to forgive you. So the devil comes in and then we get so fixated what we don't have. We miss out on all the great stuff he's got for us. (laughs) Tree of Life Church in Dagenham was running about 20 people about three years ago, maybe 30 on a busy day. Before your time, email, I think, I'm not sure. But, but, but just before you arrived, I reckon. And we were struggling. We had some bills we couldn't pay. Were you there when we gave away the three offerings in a row? No, okay. We, had some, we got about £3,000 in debt as a church. And we were struggling. We had bills come up we couldn't pay. Things were just the offerings were down. The numbers were still the same, but we were really struggling as a church. I was at the point where I could have easily quit. I'd just had enough of it. Um, we'd gone from 15 really emotionally healthy people to about 10 emotionally healthy people and about 15 basket cases. I was still working a secular job. I couldn't put enough in the offering to make up the money we needed. And it was real pressure. And about that time, I got a phone call from a church in Peckham. Yay, Peckham. They said, we've been listening to your stuff online. We've read your book. We really like you. Would you come and be our pastor? And they offered me a stupidly high salary. I said, that's a very nice offer. They said, that doesn't include the manse or the car. They said, when can you come and start? I was like, oh, I'm so tempted, Lord. And I I said, let let me meet you in the next couple of weeks and we'll sort something out and we'll discuss it through. And I got off the phone and the Lord said, that is not what I've called you to do. Little sliver. Could I be faithful with what God had called me to do? And I found the gap immediately. I thought, well, if that's what God says, I'm doing it now. You know, if God tells you to do something, just do it. Abraham was told, go and kill your son early the next morning. Why? Because he had faith. Read Hebrews 11. It says, Abraham had faith and had already received his son risen from the dead. Now just think about that for a moment. Abraham has never heard about Elijah raising people from the dead because it hadn't happened yet. He didn't know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It never happened. Abraham had never listened to Andrew Womack's testimony about his son. He'd never seen the Reinhard Bonnke video. He didn't know any of that. Nobody had ever been raised from the dead, but when God said, Abraham, I want you to go and kill your son, Abraham's mind said this, God's told me to kill my son, but God's promised me I'm going to be the father of many nations, therefore God's going to want me to kill my son so we can raise him up from the dead. This is going to be cool. You know, you hear preachers talk about Abraham, so heavy-hearted. Oh, it's so difficult. No, in Abraham's mind, it's a done deal. It's already going to happen. He'd already received his son resurrected. Abraham was excited, going, I'm going to get to see a resurrection here. I'm going to see something no one else on earth has ever seen. Abraham couldn't wait. And Abraham lifted the knife up and God said, Stop! I provided an offering. Turns around and at the top of the hill is a ram. 
and takes down his thought as the lamb instead of the son. And because he was prepared to sow his son, because remember in Genesis 15, Abraham and God became blood brothers in blood covenant, because Abraham was now prepared to slaughter his son, his one and only son for the Lord, God was now, because they're in covenant, on a bound. If Abraham needed his son, he had to grow up his son. Abraham opened the door for salvation for everybody. He said, I'm prepared to go my son. God said, well, you, I'll, I'll give you my son. Just amazing. Just pure faith. Just he knew God wouldn't be unfaithful. He could give up everything. Give up everything. God's still going to look after me. The king of Sodom turned up at Abraham's door and said, let me give you some stuff. No. Why not? Because I'm not having you go around and tell everyone you made me rich. I ain't getting involved with you. I know what you guys are up to. Forget that, Jack. Walks away from the king of Sodom Turns up, the next guy sees, is the king of Salem. Or, properly translated, the king of Shalom. And he meets this king, Melchizedek. And it says Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. And it says he took 10% of everything he owned. He's already turned the king down. And now he's taking 10% of everything he owned and giving it to the, the other king. That's why we find that Abraham was very wealthy. He was glorious, is the literal Hebrew word, kabod, glorious in silver gold and horses and cattle. He was minted. That word glorious means you're carrying around so much it's heavy. Let's put it into modern He was loaded. Why? Because God knew he was faithful little, he can give him much. A man who's not driven by money can be given money. The reason most people can't be given the money God wants them to have is because they're driven by money. Rather than they drive the money. Make the money work for them. We had a fantastic day today in Dagenham. We gave out 940 cans of Coke, to be precise. Gave out 940 cans of Coke. And they all had a little leaflet saying, we're giving you this Coke because we love you. Just because. On the back it just had the church website and church details. That was great fun. And loads of people just asking questions. So we were praying with people on the street. Our youth pastor, a guy called Lee Collingwood, he was praying with this one lady. She, came, she was working in the charity shop for free. And she came out, she heard about what's happened, gave her a can of Coke. She said, you guys are doing something amazing. Not Christian women at all. She said, I love what you guys are doing. She says, can I go and put the kettle on and make you all a cup of tea? I was like, no, it's very nice. It was really kind, but nobody wanted the tea. It was fine. She's just a, so she ends up talking to Lee, our pastor, and um, turns out she's broke. I mean, he didn't even be a genius. You know, she's working in a charity shop for free. She, you know, she's struggling... You know, we're in an area where it's struggling to find work. And so he just says, can I pray? Of course you can pray with me. So he puts his hand on her shoulder and he says, Lord, just bring some money to her. Bring some opportunities to make money. Bring some money to her directly. Do this, do that. And at the end of the prayer, her eyes were like, the sources. You can ask God for money? <laughs> wow! You know, you can ask God for money. But he who's faithful... Look what the next verse says. If you've not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth... Who will entrust you true riches? You can't handle money properly. That's why you're not doing the ministry God's called you to do often. That's why you're not moving the way oh, I want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Or maybe God gave you £100 and said put £10 of that in the offering, give £10 of that to a missionary. If you can't handle that right, you can't handle anything right. Handling money is the basic principle of how we show off our Christian stewardship. But the reason we struggle to handle money, it's not because someone needs to get in the pulpit and go, if you don't give, you're going to die. If you don't give, God's going to get you. If you don't give, there's no... That's not what it's about. 
It's about understanding that God's good. It's about realizing, because the devil comes and you've got the money, the devil comes and goes, Oh, God wants you to give some of that away, does he? No, God wants to get something to you. God wants you to prove yourself faithful. Man, when I go to Bible college, we're ready, we're going to take on the world. We came from a fantastic church. We were on the streets every Saturday doing evangelism, praying with people. We saw the sick healed every Sunday night. I thought that was normal. I thought everybody did that. And when we were going from church to Bible college, you don't know how excited I was. Because I thought it was going to be like church, but bigger, better, and more wonderful, and more exciting. And we got there. I was going to say we stuck out like a sore thumb, but we stuck out like a healed thumb and a world of sore thumbs. And it was just like... Well, you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and oh, now we're at Bible college, and everyone had this mentality of poverty and make do, and and it was just awful. Now we had a bit of money when we moved to Bible college. When I say we, I mean Amanda, and she had some money squirreled away—not a lot, but a couple of thousand. You know, which in those days was actually okay. You know, it paid about six months' rent in advance. We got some stuff and whatever else. And we were hoping to get, maybe get a bit of part-time work. Nothing was happening. No work was coming in. Nothing. So we're about three months into my time at Bible college. We, we always tithed. We never didn't tithe. But we never gave above that. We were the kind of people who, if the income for that week was £178.70, the tithe check was £17.87. Exactly. We were exact. We were precise. The idea of giving above that, well, that was just too radical for us. Why? Because we gave out of duty and fear and out of love. We didn't give out because we knew God was good. And at that time, I was starting to change the way I thought about God. I was starting to realize that God was good. I was starting to realize I was righteous. I was starting to realize the devil was defeated. And it was a very exciting time for me. But I was really unpicking a whole bunch of bad theology. We got down, and it was our third month, and God spoke to me very, very clearly. And one of the guys who really helped us change our attitude towards God was a preacher called Jesse Duplantis. You may have heard of him. Okay, big smile, Cajun preacher. Brother Jesse, he. And it was really just showing me that God was a good God. God likes us. God cares about us. And so we got to the end of the month, and God said, in addition to your tithe this month, take £10, £10, and give that to Jesse Duplantis Ministries in the UK. And I was like, Lord... We're living off beans on toast right now. Jesse's quite well off. Now, I've seen that guy. He's got some nice suits, Lord. He doesn't need any financial help right now. He's doing okay. Get to the end of the second month. God says, you need to give that ministry £20. £10 for last month. £10 for this month. No, 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 no. The funds are getting low now. We're kind of seeing it's a bit of a crunch here. Certain things haven't happened the way we expected them to. I think we'll just hold on to that 20 pounds. Next month comes round. Ben, you need to give 30 pounds. 10 pounds the month before, 10 pounds last month, 10 pounds this month. So I go to the bank. How much money is in my account? 30 pounds. I said, Lord, you asked me to give all the money in my account. He said, I'm not asking you to give more. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. I said, if I give you this money, me, my pregnant wife, that was Joel, and my eldest son, who's now a little toddler, a little walking baby, we will not have food. We will starve. Do you understand this, God? God! That's what the Lord said to me. He said, 
if you, do, if you don't give it, you're just going to starve next week. He said, do you want to starve obeying me or starve disobeying me? And I thought, if I was going to die of starvation, I'd rather do it having obeyed God. You know, if I was going to meet him in the next few weeks, I'd rather meet him having done what he said. That was my thought. That's how it worked. So I took that £30 out of the bank, cash now, put it in an envelope, had enough to buy a stamp, just in finance ministries. I don't recommend sending cash in the post, by the way, but uh, there was no other way to do this and have that money out of my account so I couldn't touch it. I walked to the post box, put the money in the post box, came back home. Well, that's it, Lord. <laughs> We're in trouble now. Within an hour of getting home, the phone starts to ring. So I pick up the phone. That's my mate Steve I went to university with. And I haven't spoken to Steve for probably a year or two. And he goes, I'm so sorry we haven't kept in touch. I said, well, I haven't kept in touch with you. It's okay, you know, these things happen, but it's really good to hear your voice. He said, no, I'm really sorry. He said, because three months ago, God told me to give you 60 pounds. And I didn't. I didn't chase you, I didn't do it. He said, two months ago, God said, give you 120 pounds last month and this month. He said, this month, God told me to give you £160. He said, I've been trying to ignore it, but for some reason, the last two hours, I just can't get that thought out of my head. I have to sort this out. He said, I've transferred the money into your bank account. It's there now. And I'll set up a direct debit. You'll get £60 from me as long as you're in college. God wasn't trying to take something from me. He was trying to get something to me. But I was so focused with what I didn't have I forgot how good God was. I forgot how much a wonderful provider God was. God is a good God. God is on your side. God will help you with whatever you need, be it financial, be it whatever else. And because I was faithful with that which is least, with money, guess what? That was the moment my whole ministry turned around. We started having success ministering to the sick in a way we'd never had before. And trust me, it wasn't my theology. My theology was still a muddle. But we just started seeing the sick healed. The Assemblies of God put me on a circuit. I called for church to church seeing the sick healed. One church we went to, <laughs> we turned up at this church. And the worship's just started. And we're about 20 minutes into the worship. So, I don't know if some of you guys know sort of the traditional Pentecostal redemption hymnal. Anyone remember redemption hymnal? Little red hymnal. You remember those? The redemption hymnal. Okay, so we're about two or three hymns into this worship. And the pastor comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, excuse me, um, we need some help outside. The church had been at the week before, a lady had turned up manifesting a demon. And so, rather than deal with her, they knew I was at this church this week, they put her in a taxi and sent her to me. Uh, heaven knows what the taxi driver thought. So Amanda and I went out and we cast a demon out of this lady, got her set free. It took about an hour, it was ten minutes to cast a demon out, but it took about a good half hour to calm her down. Because her previous church, which she went to, told her, if you've got a demon, that's it, you've lost your salvation, you're going to hell. So we had to calm her down, no, no, God's on your side, God loves you, cast the demon out and then calm her down some more. So we go back into the church, not that much larger than the amount of people here today, and they're all sitting there in absolute silence like this. I said, what's happened? Well, we finished the songs, we're waiting for you. You know, it just... But, and a lady got set free, people started to get healed, I was starting to understand, by stripes were healed, and we just started moving, revelations just started to come more easily, but it all came back to that moment where I decided to torch my Jericho. Where I decided this is uh, uh, honouring God. But why did I decide to do that? Because I understood, or started to understand, He's a good God. 
And the reason we struggle to give, and the reason we struggle to serve, and the reason we struggle to enjoy our Christian life isn't because we need someone to whip us more, beat us more, isn't because we need to rededicate again. You know, let's have a rededication service. And we all play soft music. No. And we all lie on the floor and cry because the music's so soft. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for all the things I've ever done in my life. And, I'm, and for about 48 hours, we get up and we pray and we do all the stuff and it's great. And then the third day, we kind of lose a bit of that joy. Oh, God doesn't like me again now because I didn't pray for the whole hour. I only prayed for 41 minutes. Oh, I must be the worst Christian in the world. And then, you know, you go away and it's for about 10 weeks you're away from God. And then, oh, let's have another rededication service and you rededicate. No, the problem isn't that. It's not your dedication that's the problem. It's your revelation. You don't know how good he is. You don't know how good he is. Let's go back to Genesis 3 for a second. Starting at verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than the other beast of the field the Lord has made. And he said to him, Did God really say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? In other words, God's the one holding back. God's the bad one. God's the one restricting you. Let's just skip ahead to verse 7. This is, they've just eaten the fruit now. They've just fallen for it. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. If you ever touched a fig leaf, you will know that is not... A good item to make a loincloth out of. It's scratchy, prickly, it's rough. You know, yeah, that's the best thing in the world to make. Lo- no, it's not. Don't make a loincloth out of fig leaves. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they hear God's walking into the garden, but because they've fallen for the lie, God's a bad God. God's not a good God. God wants to restrict from you. And they think, I've touched the restricted thing, and God's the restrictor, and God's the one who's out to get me. Not realising God said it for their own safety, because he didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of it. But because they touched the restricted thing, when they hear God, it says they were scared, and they ran away from God. Well, if that doesn't sum up how a lot of Christians feel about God, I don't know. So many Christians are scared of God. God's out to get me because I've done all these things wrong. God's going to get me. God's going to get me. And they hear God coming closer. They're in church and there's a worship song. God's just trying to touch their heart. <gasps> God's coming to get me. He's going to get me. He's going to beat me up for what I've done. Or, they, they, you know, they're just they're watching something on the telly. And they, there's something Christian. God's going to get me. You know, the Bible's there, but they won't open it because I don't want God to get me. God's going to get me. God's chasing me. I'm naked. I'm ashamed. I've done stuff wrong. I've messed up my life. God said to go this way. I've gone this way. It's all over. I've had enough. It's all, I don't know what to do. There's God. Oh no, God's coming into my life. That's because he's out to get me. He's going to kill me for what I've done. He's going to get me for what I've done. I'm running. I'm running away. They hid themselves in the presence of God among the trees. And the Lord God called to them and said, Where are you? God's asked, oh no, he's out to get me, what am I going to do? And the man said, I heard the sound in the garden, I was scared because I was naked. How many people have been scared from God because everything in their life has just been stripped away from them? I thought I was a good person, but then they wound me up so much I smacked them on the nose and I found I'm not a good person. I thought I was a good parent until they pushed me this far and I'm, no, no, I'm not. 
And God's going to get me. I thought I was a good husband until, you know, she was pretty, she was there. I thought, I thought I was this, I thought I was that. I thought I was good at business, but they've told me I don't have a job anymore. Everything I put my hope in has now been stripped away. Everything I put my life in, I, I just can't go anywhere near God. The amount of people we spoke to today, give them a free can of coke, what's this about? It's because we love you and we think you're awesome. Oh, you're in the church. Yeah. Oh, I could never come to church. You don't know what I've done. I'm so scared of God. I'm so naked. I'm so ashamed. I'm so far from God. God's out to get me. God's chasing me. I heard the sound of you and I was afraid and I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree? I've commanded you not to eat. Now listen to this, guys. This is the great guy excuse, right? Listen to this. The woman who you gave to me, you, I didn't ask for this woman, you told me to marry that woman, you made that woman for me, that woman, the woman, gave me the fruit and I ate. See, when we get ashamed of our nakedness, when we get scared of God, when the devil tricks us to believe that God's withholding from us, you see, what happens is, the devil wants us to have a scarcity mentality. And when you've got a scarcity mentality, a lack mentality, you think there's not enough of God's love to go around. So the only way you can get more love is by taking it from other people. A lot of Christians are like that. A lot of people are like that. I can't get any more love because I know I'm so scummy. But there's only me and the woman in the garden. And there's God. And the only way I'm going to make God like me more, well, she did this. And anyone who's raised children will know this is a natural human reflex. Have you eaten your dinner? She hasn't eaten her dinner! <laughs> Nobody mentioned them. I was just curious as to whether you'd eaten your dinner. Why? Because I'm dad the punisher and if you don't eat your dinner I shall punish you. No, because I'm dad who loves you and I don't want you to go hungry and I want you to get the right nutrients to grow and I care about you and I adore you and that's why I'm asking. But because the devil's come in there and said God's not good. God's asked, well what about them? What about them? And I mean, we're part of a stream of grace. We're part of something that's happening on planet Earth today, in this generation, where God is restoring an understanding of grace to planet Earth. It's awesome. It's the most awesome thing ever. And God's raised up ministries and people, and to know that we've got a part to play of that in London and England is just awesome. I just love it. Just so privileged to God to be alive at such a time as this and be called to do what I'm called to do. But understand this, there's people in this stream right now who have become grace Pharisees. And they're picking on, I thank God I'm not like those legalists in the church down the road. And I thank God I'm not like them. And, I thank, and already we've turned this beautiful stream of a revelation of grace into something where we can steal other people's righteousness. No, well what about them? They did that and you did that. And that church you put me in, and that family you gave me, if I didn't have these children, God? We blame everything else. Why do we do that? It's not because we're nasty or vindictive. It's because we're afraid. It's because deep down we are scared that God's not going to love us. So we blow out other people's candles to make ours look brighter. I call it cuckoo Christianity. 
You know, the cuckoo comes along and lays his egg in someone else's nest. Pushes all the other eggs out. That's what we sometimes do as Christians. Well, the only way God's going to like me is if I push everyone else down and make everyone else feel rubbish. And Why? Because we're so scared God's not going to like me. Adam was terrified God wasn't going to like him. And he loved Eve. Just one chapter earlier. This is flesh and my flesh. This is bone and my bone. Benjamin Conway translation. Whoa, well done God. Good move. He loved this woman. This is me. This is my love of my life. But the moment he's scared and afraid, there's not enough love to go around. She did it. She made me eat it. She made me do it. She made me do it. You made me lose my temper. I was fine to you. made me lose my temper. Why am I saying you made me? Because I'm scared that if I admit the truth, that there's some anger inside of me that wants to come out and rip some people apart. I'm scared that no one's going to love me anymore. And God's going to find out. I mean, read that chapter again in your own time. How dumb can you be to hide from God? I mean, that's the dumbest decision ever, isn't it? I mean, that's really dumb. But we've all done it. We thought, if I don't tell God that, he won't know. If I go to church, put my church mask on, everyone, you know, I said this in Dagnum a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, we go to church, church should be the place we take the mask off. Wendell Parr was telling me I don't know if he shared this publicly he might have done but he was telling me that when he was a pastor of a large charismatic church his office had two-way glass so he could see all the people coming from the car park walking past his office into the church and he said you could see these couples get out of the car really annoyed at each other and then and they're like this and then they turn into the church where they think people can see them and suddenly they transform <laughs> Why do they do that? It's not because they're nasty people. It's not because they're those hypocrites. It's because they're genuinely afraid they're not going to be loved if people knew what they were really like. Because we haven't created a church where people can be loved for who they really are. And so everyone puts the mask on. The problem is, the people who are best at putting the mask on, you think they're amazing. You know, well, you leave church. I wish we were like those Joneses. They don't ever argue. And well, I'm going to... And we get so upset and we tear each other, we compare each other with each other, all because we don't understand this. God is a generous God. God is a good God. God is on our side. And if our God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, you can't say God's on my side. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. I don't care what you've done. Nor did Jesus when he died on the cross. He just died for everybody. It wasn't a two-tier cross. I'm going to die for all the good people and not so much for the bad people. He died freely for everybody. And look what happened. So there's Adam. It was the woman. The woman did it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Well, now the woman's in trouble now because you can't really go back and point out the man, can she? So what's the woman do? It was a serpent made me do it. The devil made me do it. It was the devil. The devil made me do it. I I, I just couldn't help myself. No, you could. You just chose not to. But we can't say that out loud, can we? We can't tell everyone, by the way. That's why so many people get into church service and run out the door. Why? Because they just can't hold the mask on another minute. If I stand and have a cup of tea and coffee with you, I'm going to break down in tears. That's okay, we don't mind. I don't mind. There was something the other day. If I tell you what's really wrong with me, Pastor, you're not going to love me. 
Our church was um, very early days. Very early days. We had one of the guys, just, just put him in position of elder. And we, we only had, you know, we had a couple of elders at the time. And he came to me one day and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He says, but if I tell you I'm really like you, I'm not going to love me anymore. I said, do your best, mate. And he told me some stuff. My goodness me, there was some stuff that he was doing. He was doing some stuff you wouldn't believe. I just said, you know what? I just, he just started sobbing. I just hugged him. I just sat there and hugged him. And I said, you know what? I still love you. I still care for you. I'm still on your side. I said, I'll be there to help you. Night or day, you call me. And whatever else. And you know what? He couldn't do it. He couldn't come back. Because his mindset was, I've failed God, I've let the whole church down. I, I said, you haven't failed God. You can't disillusion God. How can you disillusion God? He's got no illusions about you. The very worst thing you've ever done in your life, he knew you were going to do it. He still called you anyway. You can't disillusion God. The thing, the very thing you would never dare tell anyone, you're so ashamed of, the thing that makes you feel naked inside, the thing if someone starts talking to you and you think, they're going to guess that, Guess what? God loves you anyway. He knows. Don't try and blame the devil. It wasn't the devil. You decided to do that. James 1 says, You are tempted because of desire in your heart, and you let the desire grow. No one else. People don't just wake up in the morning and go and do something wrong. You know, you, you hear about a minister, you find out he's had an affair or something, or he's done drugs, or he's run off with half the money in the church, and maybe the worship leader as well, or whatever. That didn't happen overnight. That guy wasn't serving God 100% every moment of the day. And then woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to go and do this. There was a seed there that was growing and growing and meditating on, hidden, 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 until it grew to a point where everyone suddenly found out about it. And we go, oh man, I'm never going to listen to that guy again. You listened to him while the seed was still there, it was growing, you listened to him while it was happening in secret. Now it's all been exposed, he's probably cleaner than he's ever been his entire life. Maybe that's the time to start listening to him. You know, but we don't understand the love of God. We really don't. Peter denied Christ. He stood up in front of a little girl and said, I do not know this man Jesus. I am not a Christian. Now you must be, you've got the fisherman's voice. Why would you be in Jerusalem, you're a fisherman? I don't know Jesus. Don't tell me, I blankly blank don't know Jesus. Imagine you go to work tomorrow. Your boss says, come in here, I want a word with you. Heard you're one of those funny Christian types. Heard you've got strange views about marriage and commitment and fidelity. I've heard you've got strange views on abortion. I've heard that you, don't, you won't tell a lie in the office. People have been talking about you. You don't like it when we tell smutty jokes. There's something wrong with our jokes, is there? There's something wrong with us, is there? You think you're better than us. You're one of those funny Christians. And you don't want to lose your job. You have a panic attack, don't you? You go, I'm not Christian. What are you talking about? Me? Christian? Spit on Christians, me? I don't believe in Jesus. No, you are. Open plan office. So you start yelling and swearing at your boss. I'm not a blankly blank Christian. You shut your blankly blank mouth. How dare you? Everyone in this room will tell you. I am not a blankly blank Christian. That is not me. Everybody in the office hears. Everybody in the community finds out. Everybody knows what you did. Now I reckon that most of us can just about grasp that someone could be forgiven of that. Seven weeks after doing that. Seven weeks weeks 40 days after doing that 
Peter was the number one preacher in the first conference the church ever had. And Jesus picked him. That's amazing. That's what the father's like. That's my child. Ah, forget about that. But we're still like, oh, the woman made me do it. They made me do it. My family made me do it. The kids made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, I made me do it, and I'm sorry. What you don't take responsibility for, you can never change. And to take responsibility for something, you need to understand identity. You need to understand who God is, who you are, who the devil is. That's why we're going to talk about that for the next three weeks. But in addition to identity, and Emo may disagree with me now, because Emo's my identity man. This guy, if you want to know about your identity in Christ, speak to Emo. Okay, this guy knows it. But I believe that you need identity and intimacy. Because you can talk to yourself in the mirror, you're blue in the face, I'm righteous, I'm pure. You need someone else with flesh and bones on one day, just put their hand and say, you know, that's true about you, you are awesome. I know you messed up, but you're still going to make it. You need a community around you. That's why we're going to start, in the next few weeks, we're going to start a, a living church in this place, which is basically a church in someone's house, never gets bigger than 15, because that way you know everyone's names. We've got 10 of them going on in Dagenham at the moment, we've got 9, we're starting our 10th in three weeks' time, and they're fantastic. Why? Because when you encounter the truth, it's actually not pleasant. This is where most religion comes from, by the way. It comes from theological excuses so we don't have to face up to the unpleasant stuff. You know, why did that person die of cancer? Well, the Lord wanted them for a sunbeam in their garden. No, that's not true. They died because we didn't believe what God said. That's why. That's quite harsh, isn't it? That's quite ouch. You know, why is my life such a mess? Well, because the Lord is refining you, brother. The Lord is putting you through the mill. It's a wilderness experience. You're gaining strength from it. God is doing this to you to teach you a lesson. Religious lies to make us feel better. Because the truth is, why is my life a mess? Because your thinking's a mess. Because you watch rubbish on the telly all day and never read your Bible. That's the truth. God still loves you. I still love you. That's why we need a group of people around us to go, why is my life a mess? Because you're a bozo. But guess what? So am I. I love you. You love me. Let's get on with it. Let's actually do something to change that. Let's speak the truth to one another in love. Let's admit it. I messed up. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. I messed up. I wanted to do that. And I did it. And I didn't care who got hurt. And God still loves me. And God still loves you. God's not holding back something. He wants to give us so much more. We've got to get that revelation. The woman said the serpent did it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, well, because you've done this, you're cursed above all lives. So I'll go to that in a few weeks' time when we talk about the devil. To the woman he said, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire for your husband, he'll rule over you. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. You see, you listened, Adam. That's my wife. So, if your wife's talking nonsense, don't listen. There's a revelation for some husbands. You don't have to listen to everything they say. Well, what if they don't love me? Does it matter? You're loved by God. Your identity is in God. We're so scared to put a boundary up between us and someone else. We go, well, what if they don't love me? Who cares? You have to do what's right no matter what. Everyone else was eating the fruit. Man, everyone was doing it. I better do it. Sorry, Mum, they're all smoking. I thought I'd bet. No, you did it. You listened. You didn't have to listen to them. 
I told you not to eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You'll have it in pain all days of your life. Fallen fists that bring forth. You see the plants of the field. By swear of your face, you'll see bread till you return to the ground. For out of the ground you are taken. For you are dust and dust you shall return. Now God wasn't cursing them. He was just telling them the consequences of their action. You know, if one of my sons goes out and gets a tattoo of a spiderweb on his face, guess what? Not cursing them by saying, you're going to really struggle to find a job, mate. That's not cursing him. I'm just pointing out the consequence of his action. God wasn't out to get him. God was just telling him, these are the consequences of your actions. The man called his wife Eve because she was a mother all living. But listen to this. And the Lord God made Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God wasn't hunting Adam to kill him. He was hunting Adam to clothe him. Adam made his own clothes. Look at me with my nice fig leaf pants. But that's what we're like as Christians. I went to church today. Heal this brother, Lord, because I went to church today. Fig leaf pants, it wears out. Next week you don't go to church. Well, you can't heal the sick now. I'm going to church, I'm going to church. Pray this week, didn't pray this week. Prayed a lot this week, feeling good about myself this week. Yeah, I can do it. No, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with God's love. We've got to build everything on God's love. And I don't, the Bible doesn't say what animal those skins came from. I personally believe it was a sheep. Because God loves slaughtering sheep. <laughs> clothing people with them. But if God made Adam and Eve garments of skins, there had to be a death. An animal had to die. And it doesn't say how long it took, but I'd imagine God got those clothes on Adam and Eve pretty quick. So they still would have smelt of blood. They'd have still been warm. Covered. Clothed. No longer naked. Why? Because you're so amazing. Look at the clothes I made. No. Because God made you clothes. Through the death of another. And therefore the clothes are not based on your merit but on the sacrifice of the animal that was slaughtered for you. And this Easter, you need to know this. You don't impress God with your fig leaf clothes. You don't impress God. Look at what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look at me. And you're still scared inside in case people see through them. You're still terrified. You know, the slightest provocation. But they did that to me. And you didn't do that. And they did that. And you put them in my life. And everyone else was doing it. Therefore I did it. And the devil made me do it. Because that's what happens when you come to God on the basis of your works and your good works. And look what I've done. It's, it's never going to be good enough. If you come to God on the basis that Jesus Christ, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, then you can enjoy God's company. You can do everything God's called you to do. Because you know that if God's given you Jesus, this is Romans 8, if God's given you Jesus, he'll give you everything else. He'll give you everything else. I can give every penny I have away. Because I know God will supply my needs. My wife finished her nursing course two months ago. She was getting paid £600 a month for doing that course. So when she finished the course and said, I don't think I should get a job in nursing right now, I was like, well, that's nice, darling. That's really good, darling. But £600 a month is a lot of money in my household budget. That is a big set chunk in my budget. Lord, what do we do? Trust me. And I know who I am. Trust me, if I was praying to God on the basis to give me £600 a month for the next two months, on the basis of my good works, my fig pants, it would be a very weak prayer. Because I know I've not made it every week. I know I've not done everything God wants me to do. I know I'm not perfect. 
But I wasn't coming to God on the basis of the clothes I made. I was coming to God on the basis of the sacrifice of another, on what Jesus has done. And you know what? Within a week of that prayer, within a week of me saying, Lord, I need this money, somebody put £1,200 directly in my bank account. I then went to the person and I said, are you sure you meant to give that to me and not the church by accident? See, when you know God will take care of you, you can be like Elijah. Let's pour water on the offering. You know, my natural reaction was, let's take the money. I've got the money. My natural reaction was, let's make sure that is definitely the source. I know the money's coming, but let's make sure that's the right channel. And I spoke to that person and said, no, God spoke to me clearly and told me to give that to you directly. I said, I'll receive it then. Thank you very much. You know that person, within one week of doing that, got a double promotion at work? <laughs> they've got, the harvest they've had on that seed alone has just changed their lives completely. Very, very excited about what's happening in that person's life. Very, very excited. Changed their life. Changed our life. Now the two months are up. Amanda's now going, I really don't think God's leading me to work as a nurse. Deep down inside, I know she's telling the truth. On the outside, I'm going, you get out there and get a job, woman. (laughs) You're going to bring some money into this house. Now we're in a situation where the church is looking to up my salary, give Amanda a salary, transform everything. It just all changed. God had his hand on everything. And I'll tell you what, I'd much rather have my wife doing this job with me, nine till five, than I would have anyone else in the whole church. Not that I don't love the church, but I really would. I'm really excited. And it's just wonderful. God wasn't looking to withhold something from me. But don't get focused on that one thing you can't have. Because God's looking to get something to you. Let me close with this. I've gone on a lot tonight. I do apologise. But I want to close with this. If you were living in the days of Moses, and you had messed up, and you had sinned, then to get that made right with God, you'd have to go and find a lamb, a year old lamb, And you'd have to take that lamb to the priest and the priest would slaughter that lamb and the blood of that lamb would cover your sin. Would cover what you've done wrong. Make it right with God. Isn't that amazing? But here's here's, here's the most amazing bit of it all. When you'd go to the priest and say, I've really messed up. I've done this and this. I've hurt these people. I've let these people down. I got scared. I got angry. I did this. I did that. I didn't mean to. I did. And you've got the lamb. Do you know the priest never inspects the person? He only inspects the sacrifice. The priest checks out the lamb and if the lamb's good enough, the lamb gets slaughtered and you get let off completely free. You come to Jesus and say, man, I've messed up, Lord. Make it right. Jesus isn't even looking at you. He's looking at the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. He's looking at Jesus. Trust me, Jesus' sacrifice worked. It worked 100%. You can now live the rest of your life with no fear, no shame, no sickness, no sense of inferiority. You can come into the presence of God and enjoy his presence just by one step. There's no journeying. There's no let's sing six songs to get us there. Let's climb the mountain. There's no going through the wilderness. What did John the Baptist say? He shall make every valley rise, every mountain low, every crooked place straight. That's your Christian life, one straight path. Well, I'm in the valleys, brother. What are you doing in the valleys, man? Well, that's where you grow in the valleys. No, that's because you've been thinking the wrong things. 
Ouch, that hurts. That's okay. We're a community of love. We've got some intimacy to help you understand your identity. You might be here today and you might be going, you know what, that's me. I, I, when I come to God, I come to God with my fig, fig leaf pants on and go, God, look at me. I've done this, I've done that. Love me. And you know what? It doesn't work. I feel so insecure. I feel scared. I feel alone. And I just need a little bit of help today. Because I want to come to God on the basis of Jesus. Because then I know I feel warm and snug. I understand. I feel secure. Because of what Jesus has done, not what I've done. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you. And the reason I'm going to ask you to do this is because I'll, I want to break that fear. You know, it's going to feel a little bit self-conscious to stand up and be the first to stand up. But if that's you, just stand to your feet right now. Break that fear. Say, I don't care what anyone in this room thinks of me. Because I just want to live for God. I just want to... I'm not going to be scared anymore. I've done it. You know, I've done stuff wrong, but God still loves me. If that's you, just stand to your feet right now. And we're going to pray with you. And we're going to help you set it right. I know I didn't preach this message for the people who didn't come tonight. Because I know God's not that dumb. I know it's going to help you, make you feel self-conscious. I know some of you feel God's after you. He's not after you to get you. He's after you to help you. If you stand up, I tell you, things are going to change so dramatically. Jesus. Jesus. your courage anyone else I know there's more in here and you just know you need to stand up and the standing up is not about making me feel happy or anything I don't care it's about you saying do you know what I'm going to make this decision publicly to help you make this change your relationship with God is never again going to be based on your ability it's going to always be based on the Lamb that's what Easter's all about he died for me took my sin, took my shame, took my fear, took my guilt, took it all, so I could enjoy fellowship with Jesus every day. It's the most wonderful life ever. It's the most wonderful life ever. It's the most wonderful life. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to leave it open for another 30 seconds or so. I know there's people who just... You know, I, know, I know what it's like. You're scared of people looking at you, thinking this, thinking that. Just don't care what we think anymore. Care what God thinks. And God loves you. And God is after you, but not to get you. He's out to get you, to, to clothe you, to lift you, to bless you. He is totally on your side. And some of you, you came in here in a strop because I can't have that. If I'm a Christian, why can't I have that? Because God's got something better for you. He's got something so much better for you. Oh, hallelujah. Let's pray for these people, shall we? Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands to God. Father, I thank you for everyone who's made that decision today. To realise that you're a good God. You're easy to live with. You're gentle. You're kind. And you love us. 
And when we mess up as a father, you don't want to beat us, you want to clothe us, you want to change us, you want to cleanse us. And right now we just affirm, we don't care, we don't care about how we feel, about what it looks like. We just want to know you. We want to rest in you. We want to know that you paid the price for us. And Father, for everyone who's standing, honour their choice to stand out today by right now giving them a special revelation of who you are, of the riches that are inside them, of the fact that they are now robed in robes of righteousness. They are the cliché. They are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Cleaner than anything else can make them clean. Father, give them a revelation now that their access to you is only because of Jesus. You know, you want to pray. There's two bridges you can go across. There's the bridge of how good you are, the fig pants bridge. And it won't work. Because no matter how good you are, there'll be a hole in that bridge somewhere. The devil will come along. You did that, you did that, you did that. You're not good enough there. You know, you can spend 10 hours praying, 10 hours in the Word, and the devil will go, should have spent 11. But this is the bridge, the bridge of knowing Jesus, the bridge of resting in his work. I'm going to read one scripture just to help you guys, and then we're going to close this service. Have some teas, have some coffees. Enjoy each other's company. Hebrews 11. Not Hebrews, Matthew 11. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And right now I speak over everyone standing in this room. Rest and peace. Because it's not about you, it's about what he's done. You are at rest, you're at peace right now. You have been made righteous in Christ and now you are at peace with God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in my heart and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you, you haven't had rest in your emotions for years. Some of you haven't had a full night's sleep for years. You're going to rest tonight. You're going to have a full night's sleep tonight because of what you understood. It's him. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It's Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your life. Jesus is your righteousness. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you right now, heavy burdens you've been carrying are just coming off you. Oh, you did that and you did that wrong. You can never be a good Christian. Ah, get out of it. Get out of it. It's all to do with Jesus. My bridge is Jesus. My life's in him, not my works. I'm never coming to God again in fig pants. I'm going to come in the robe he gave me. The robe of the death of another. Paid the price for my sin and shame. Gave me life and abundance. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Take your seats. God bless you guys. God bless everyone for coming. Thank you.